Howdy, welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. So when we think of the characteristics that make God, many things can come to mind. The Bible has more than I can count. He's merciful. He's long-suffering. He's faithful. He's patient. God is love. But you know, as you read through the prophecies, he's always on time. But why has he not come back? 170-some years ago, there was a group that was sure he was coming back. He's not here yet. So if there's one thing that you could put your finger on and say, why hasn't he come back? What might that be? In Christ Objects Lessons, page 69, we're told, Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will claim them as his own. You see, the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ is waiting to reveal himself through his church to the world. The central question in the book of Revelation is, who shall stand? Well, stand where? Stand what? Who shall stand at the darkest time of earth's history when the temptations and the persecution is at its highest and reveal Christ to a dying world? You see, he has to prepare a people to stand in the presence of the Almighty God when he steps out of the sanctuary and there is no more intercession. During a time of trouble that the world has never seen. You know, the second coming is really our exit or our exodus from this Egypt to the heavenly Canaan. So I think there's things we can learn from the exodus that are there to teach us and learn from. So we go back to, to Exodus, and we go, at the end of the plagues, we get to uh, the ninth plague. Pharaoh is being very hardened. He does not let them go. So God tells Moses, tell the people to offer a sacrifice, it's a, a blood sacrifice from a lamb, and to paint their doorpost, and all that accept that sacrifice or under that household, or under that door, will be delivered. Now, let me ask you, was that sacrifice exclusive to the Israelites, or was it also open to any Egyptian that wanted to, to join? It was both. So, they offer the sacrifice, which we call uh, or now referred to as a Passover sacrifice that was ultimately pointing to 
Christ sacrifice on the cross in the future. After they finally are, finally Pharaoh lets them go and they have to cross the Red Sea. Crossing the Red Sea is a symbol of the baptism that they had to go through. And then God calls them to the wilderness where he wanted them to worship him from the beginning. Then Moses, well, you know the story. The people get scared, God speaking. So Moses gets called up to the mount where a cloud has covered the mountain to, to shield God's glory. And so Moses is called up to the mount. Then in chapter 25, while he's on the mount, he begins to receive the instructions uh, to build the sanctuary. Chapter 26, still on the mount. Chapter 27, not come back yet. 28, 29, 30, still on the mount. If you think about it, the whole creation story was told in one or two chapters, and here we are six chapters later in chapter 31, he's still on the mount. That's a long time to be getting instructions. But Moses delayed his coming, and while he was delayed, what did the people start to do? They went to Aaron and said, this guy Moses that delivered us from Egypt, we're not sure he's coming back. So here's all of our jewelry and gold, and make us a golden calf, and we're going to make that our God, and say that that is who delivered us from Egypt. And so they began to have a party. And you know the story. They uh, were living it up. When you get to chapter 32, and God says to Moses, you know those people you got out of Egypt, they have uh, corrupted themselves and are now doing this and this. Well, God's ready to destroy them. And Moses intercedes and he pleads with God. He says, no, we've come this far. Let's not. God hears Moses. The Bible said God repented. He changed his mind. So Moses coming down with the new fresh uh, tables of stone, the God's law that has just been given to him by the hand of God. And he gets to the bottom, he sees what's going on, he's angry, throws him. And then he proceeds to ask Aaron what's going on. Aaron fumbles, basically says, well, the people made me do it, and... Basically, in chapter 32, Moses stands at the gate of the camp, and he makes a call. And he talks to the camp, and he says, who is on the Lord's side? Let him come up to me. And all the sons of Levi were gathered unto him. A few verses later, we know that all those that remained in rebellion were slaughtered. And we only see two groups of people mentioned. We have those that were on the Lord's side and everyone else. There's no third group. There's no, it's only two groups. And when Jesus returns, 
There's only two groups. He will say, who is able to stand? Or who is on the Lord's side? In Corinthians 10, we're told that now these things became our example to, it, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also did. Now, all these things that happened to them as examples are written for ad, our admonition unto whom the ends of the age have come. Therefore let he, him, who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Now these stories are written for our example. So let's draw a few parallels. Moses was called out of his people. As a babe, he came out of the water, and he was called to deliver his people. Jesus came out of the Israel nation, and out of his baptism, was, went on to deliver his people. Moses delivered the Passover sacrifice as a, as, as a sacrifice of deliverance. Jesus died on the cross, is that sacrifice. Israel went through a baptism of the Red Sea. The early church went through the baptism at Pentecost of the Holy Spirit. Moses was called onto the mount and he was received into a cloud out of their sight. Jesus was called up to the mount of heaven and was received unto a cloud out of the sight of his people. But it's been 2,000 years, almost 2,000 years since he was gone. Why hasn't he come back? Why is it that our early church believed his, his coming was imminent in 1844? What we now know is the great disappointment. We also know that later, in the 1890s, he was preparing to come, but had to abort that plan. So why does he delay? When he comes back, the question's going to be, who's on the Lord's side? The Levites were the only ones on the Lord's side that day. It had to be very tempting to just go with the crowd and do what they were doing. Very attractive to go with the flow. Don't ruffle any feathers. Well, ever, after all, everyone else is doing it. I might as well. The other Israelites had stood up a false image of God. And after all, it was just fellow Israelites. Even the top leadership was in on it. Even Aaron, Moses' brother. They had introduced a heathen form of worship. And their deliverer was delayed, so why not? You think we face those same temptations today? Do you think the Levites were joyful or shameful when Moses came back? Folks, what we're doing today will determine how, how we respond when he comes back. It will determine which side of those two groups we were on. When Moses came back, two groups. Jesus, two groups. In Matthew 13, we're given the parable of the wheat and the tares. In summary, 
a man that owns a field sows good seed. While everyone is sleeping, an enemy comes and sows bad seed. After the, the seed sprout and the crop begins, the other servants notice, and they go to the master and say, do you want us, I thought, well, we thought you only planted good seed. And he said, I did, but an enemy has done this. And then they offer to help him weed out the tares. But he says, no, lest while you gather the tares, you uproot the wheat with them too. Let them grow together, and at the harvest, the reapers will take the tares and, and bundle them for the fire, and the wheat will be gathered in my barn. A little bit later, Jesus explains to, explains to them all the pieces of the, um, what the parable means. The field is the world. The, the sower is the son of man. Those, uh, the sons of the kingdom are the good seed, and the sons of the devil are the bad seed. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. And at the end, the wheat will be harvested, and the tares will be burned. So again, we see two groups of people in this parable, just like we saw in Mount Sinai. But he tells them, to not uproot any plant, lest they make a mistake. Sometimes we can look at people and say, oh, she's a tear. Or he's an upright wheat. Another way of saying this is that the man looks on the outward appearance, but only God can look upon the heart. So we don't always really know what we're looking at. There's many gardeners in this group. What are the conditions necessary for wheat to grow? Or any plant, really. Water and sunshine. And in Matthew 5, 44 and 45, verses 44 and 45, it says, But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do not do good unto those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That ye be sons of of your Father which is in heaven. For for he makes the sun rise on on the evil and on the good. And he sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. So both the wheat and the tares get the same sunshine and the same rain. But yet... We get two different crops. In verse verse 48, he tells us to, "Therefore uh, Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father which is in heaven. This is a perfect love. It's not just being nice to those that are nice to you. It's loving those that are not, those that persecute you. It's a higher calling. In short, he's asking us to be merciful like his father is with us. 
You see, the sun and the rain represent God's goodness and mercies. In Ecclesiastes 8, verse 11, we're told that because a sentence against evil, an evil work, is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men are fully set to do evil. Sometimes God doesn't punish us or rebuke us immediately to give us time. And we have a choice to either double down on our sin or time to repent. The Bible also gives us examples of men in the same predicament that were given mercy, yet it didn't have the same effect as it did on the wheat. If we go back to Exodus, at the beginning of the story, when God tells Moses to go and tell Pharaoh that he's there to deliver his people, he tells, tells him to go and he says, I'm going to show Pharaoh great wonders, yet I'm going to harden his heart and he will not let my people go. You know, for a long time I wondered, it seems like a setup. It seems like, like he's setting up Pharaoh. He doesn't have a chance. And... Why would God do that? 18 times in the book of Exodus does it mention the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. In chapter 5, it says, And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us go. We pray thee three days, journey into the desert and sacrifice unto the Lord or our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence and sword. You know, it's like, very similar to come out of her, my people, lest you participate and receive her plagues. You see, Pharaoh's rejection of God was actually a fair question. He didn't know God. So if somebody came to me and said, hey, I work for Jimmy, and Jimmy says to give me $1,000 that you have of his, who's Jimmy? And why would I give you $1,000 if I don't know Jimmy? So God has to show Pharaoh who God is, he's asking the question, who is God? So, this issue really originates about the Sabbath. When Moses is asking for a three days journey, he's to worship in the wilderness. He's saying, we're going to leave on Friday, we're going to worship on Sabbath, and we'll be back Sunday. He's asking for the weekend off to have the Sabbath. And so Pharaoh gets upset, and he says, oh, you're just trying to, you know, slack off the people, and he increases their burden, takes away their straw. They have to make uh, 
the brick with more burdens and increases the quotas, and it basically becomes very burdensome for the Israelites. But then he says to, to, to them, he says, okay, show me what your God can do. Show me a miracle. And so the first miracle, we have the Aaron's rod that's cast down and becomes a serpent. Well, his guys can do that too, and they do the same. The only difference is Aaron's rod kind of swallowed up their rods. But it's not enough to convince Pharaoh. He's like, ah, he's just got better magic. So then God turns the water of the Nile into blood. Well, his guys did that too, I'm sure on a smaller scale, maybe with some Kool-Aid. But it's not enough. And in, verse, in, in Exodus 7, 16, it says, And you shall say unto him, talking to Moses, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear. So God is trying to speak to Pharaoh in language that he knows, which is power. So God's demonstrating symbols of his power, He's not listening. Sometimes, you know, God demonstrates symbol, symbols of his power in our lives in various ways, and we're not listening. Pharaoh's not impressed. Still doesn't work. So then he sends something a little stronger, sends the frogs. Well, his guys copied that too, but Pharaoh recognized that the frogs that the Israelites were, uh, God was sending had more power. So in verse, chapter 8, verse 8, we see Pharaoh calls Moses and Aaron. He says, hey, entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and my people, and I will let your people go that they may sacrifice unto the Lord. So here, Pharaoh is acknowledging the Lord, and he's saying, hey, will you pray for me? Will you tell him to stop this, and then I will let your people go? You ever know someone who's not really spiritual, not really godly, maybe is angry with God, maybe doesn't believe in God, and they get into a crisis, maybe a coworker, maybe a family member, and they come to you and say, hey, will you, will you, next time you pray, can you, can you throw me in your prayer? Can you, say up, you know, can you lift up a prayer for me? Moses prays on behalf of Pharaoh, and God answers the prayer. Pharaoh asks God, who is God? And God is revealing himself to him. You see, what God is asking him to do is show mercy. But Pharaoh probably has no clue what mercy looks like. He's maybe never experienced it, certainly has never offered it. So God is saying, hey, I allowed a crisis a plague to come into your life. I have removed that. Now I'm asking you to do the same for my people. And in verse 15 it says, but when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. How many times have we been in a crisis and we say, Lord, if you will save me from and it's usually a big if, right? If you will, I will. And we make some kind of bargain or kind of deal with God, and then 
sometimes days, weeks, months later, we get relief and we forget the deal we made. You see, Pharaoh's confession was driven by the crisis. It was not true repentance. He acknowledged what he had done wrong, but he was not repentant that he had done wrong. Steps for Christ tells us that Pharaoh, when suffering under the judgments of God, acknowledged his sin in order to escape further punishment, but returned to his defiance of heaven as soon as the plague had been stayed. These all lamented the results of sin, but did not sorrow for the sin itself. This form of confession is a sign of the tares. It's confession, but not repentance. It says, Lord, I will serve you only in the bad times. But when times are good, I got this. God's mercy can soften our heart or harden in our hearts. So next time it takes a bigger crisis or a bigger plague to get our attention. Sometimes we say, well, God, why are you allowing this in my life? Why is this crisis happening to me? And sometimes it's the only way that he gets our attention. And so plague after plague had to come But Pharaoh's heart became more hardened to the point where the last thing that God could do was take away his firstborn. And that of the Egyptians too, because their hearts were hardened. That's how far it got. And by the time that Israel gets to leave, he finally lets them go. He is so angered and his heart is so hardened that he'd rather kill them. At this point, it's not even about keeping them. It's about just killing them. So he goes after them. You know the story. He did not show mercy. Family, there will be be people that will be lost because they refuse to show the same mercy to others that God has shown to them. You see, after the mountain experience, Israel wandered in the wilderness The early church had to wander in the wilderness for 1,260 years. But before Israel can enter into Canaan, they had to go through one more crossing, one more baptism. And before the Christian church can enter into heaven, there's one more baptism. And it's called the second outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's the latter rain. Let me give you hope. I'm not saying that every single time that a crisis comes into your your life or a trial, that it's a result of your heart being hardened. It's not that at all. Inspiration tells us that the the Christ's life of self-denial and suffering is before me. And, And this hushes every murmuring thought, every dissatisfied feeling. The life of Christ's followers will be beset at every step with trial, vexation, and hindrances, which will work for their good in the development of character and in gaining an education in the school of Christ that is of the highest value. In this conflict, the Christian character is made strong. 
What was it that we talked about in the beginning that Christ needed? It's only when our characters are perfectly reflecting his that he can come. So often God permits trials not to harm us, but to reveal to us areas in our life that are still needing some work. Areas that we maybe haven't surrendered, areas that we're hanging on to. Have you ever heard the saying that the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay? So ask yourself the next time you go through a trial, is my heart being melted or hardened? Am I acting like Pharaoh or Christ in his trials? After all, Christ is our only example. Everything we do must point back to him. Inspiration says that the lessons taught by these temptations is for all of us. The captain of our salvation was made perfect through suffering. Today, the Lord tries men to see what characters they will develop. He tried the Israelites that it might be seen what was in their hearts. Paul's character was made perfect by trial. God is today trying the faith of every soul who claims to be in his service. When passing through trials, we may know that thus God is striving to lead us to know him and to place our trust in him. Our world just went through a plague of sorts, a big crisis. It revealed... how we might act in a crisis. A lot of good and bad was revealed. Did we show mercy to those that perhaps think different than us? Did we hold, do we still hold grudges for things said or things done? Were we kind and patient to those that persecuted you? This crisis revealed things that need to be corrected before the next crisis, which is much bigger. In the end, there's only two groups. Those that are on the Lord's side and everyone else. Inspiration tells us that not one of us will receive the seal of God while our characters have one spot or stain on them. The latter rain cannot be poured out until this is done. We have to go through that second baptism in the Jordan. The sins of Israel must go before the judgment. Every sin must be confessed into the sanctuary. Now is the time to make preparation and to place our full trust in our deliverer. The long night of gloom is trying, but the morning is deferred in mercy. Because if our master should come, so many would be found unready. God's unwillingness to have his people perish has been the reason for his long delay. Thank you so much for listening. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville 
And if you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.